Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Ariana Davis. Ariana Davis is the digital director of Oh! The Oprah Magazine. She's also worked at Refinery29 and U.S. Weekly. Her writing has been published in New York Magazine, Glamour, Marie Claire, Pop Sugar Latina, and more. She's an adjunct professor at NYU and lives in New York City. Here's Ariana Davis reading from What Would Frida Do? The streets of Mexico City's southern neighborhood, Coyacan, are quiet. Colorful houses with intricate iron gates dot avenues named after cities in Europe, Paris, Berlin, Madrid. Suddenly, on Calle Londres, the stillness is broken. Dozens of people are buzzing about, some standing on their toes to get a glimpse at the front of a line that wraps around the block. From 1907 through 1954, this electric blue house was home to Frida Kahlo. Since 1958, La Casa Azul has been known as Museo Frida Kahlo, or the Frida Kahlo Museum. A donation from the artist's husband, Diego Rivera, who wanted the home he shared with his wife to become a tribute to her work. And more than six decades after her death, the house still feels full of life. When I first walk through the tall green entryway beneath the words Museo Frida Kahlo, I'm greeted by a large patio surrounded by walls so vibrantly blue they almost hurt the eyes. A jungle-like assortment of greenery and cacti hugs the trunks of palm trees that stretch toward the sky. Before heading inside, I I spot a small stone bench off to the side and sit down to drink it all in. I close my eyes to focus on the sound of water sprinkling from a fountain, The autumn air is crisp and cool, and the scent of earth and moss clings to my skin. Overhead, leaves sway and birds call cheerfully. And then when I open my eyes, she's there. A young Frida Kahlo limping through the garden, her skirt sweeping the floor as she hums Cielito Lindo to herself. Her hairless dog scurries behind her. When the front door swings open, she turns, a radiant smile spreading across her face. Diego, she cries. I smile too. And then, as quickly as it began, my daydream is interrupted by a squeal. A tall, lanky blonde is yelling, excuse me, as she trips over my foot. Apparently, I'm in the way. She's been angling into the spot for a photo. After I shimmy to the side, she strikes the perfect influencer pose as her friend snaps away at her iPhone. As soon as they leave, I sigh with relief that I can return to my peaceful revelry with Frida. 
But no sooner does the blonde leave than a gaggle of high school girls in matching Frida Kahlo tees arrive, chatting in Japanese as they snap selfies. Behind them, it seems the crowd that has been led into the museo has nearly doubled in size. A chorus of accents fills the previously peaceful space as visitors jostle one another to try to enter the home. Outside the museum, every corner of Frida's beloved neighborhood, the place where she was born and where she died, where she fell in love with her husband, where she painted some of her most moving works, and where she always returned after every stint living abroad, is crowded with Frida graffiti, posters, and souvenir carts. For several blocks, you can find a woman on every corner wearing a Frida-style costume, calling out that she has items for sale from a basket full of t-shirts, wallets, and tiny tweed dolls with felt unibrows. Keep walking toward the center of town, and the stalls of street markets overflow with goods decorated with Frida's image. Everything from dangling beaded earrings to cooking aprons, jewelry boxes, matchboxes, slip-on shoes, iPhone cases, and even salad bowls. This level of Frida adulation extends far beyond the magical art-filled streets of Kauaikan. Since the 1990s, Frida mania has been in full swing around the world. The artist's posthumous popularity only increases every year, and at this point, it's clear that Frida mania is not a passing trend. The world will forever be infatuated with her image, life, art, and legacy. Thanks to a resurgence of her work during the women's rights and Chicano movements in the 1980s, by the next decade, the late Frida had become a full-blown celebrity. A 2002 Oscar-winning biopic starring Selma Hayek only further fueled our culture's obsession with her. Now, her influence can be felt thousands of miles away from Mexico City, reaching as far as the museums of Europe, the kitschy shops of Tokyo, and, well, basically anywhere the internet can reach. Give her a quick Google and you will find Frida Kahlo keychains, Frida Kahlo wallets, Frida Kahlo magnets, mugs, and music boxes, Frida Kahlo socks, suitcases, and scents. Frida Kahlo beach bags, pens, tequilas, nail polishes, coffee machines, makeup palettes, credit cards, kimonos, sneakers, garden planters. There are even sanitary napkins. Yes, you heard that right. Her face adorns the walls of chain restaurants and postcards that spin around merchandise carousels and college bookstores. Universities around the world hold entire courses about the artist's work. Chain retailers like Vans have released merchandise collections featuring her face. In 2017, to mark what would have been her 110th birthday, the Dallas Museum of Art held a Frida Kahlo Fest, where attendees set a Guinness World Record for the largest gathering of people dressed like Frida Kahlo. During the coronavirus pandemic quarantine in 2020, small online retailers like Arte Alexia in San Diego, California, quickly sold out of Frida Kahlo jigsaw puzzles. Long before smartphones turned millions of people into aspiring influencers like the ones I bumped into at the Museo, there was the artist who would empower generations of women to embrace their own images. Frida Kahlo. Of course, Frida was not the first person to paint a self-portrait. In fact, as far as historians know, the first panel-style portrait in history is 1433's Portrait of a Man in a Turban by John Van Eyck. But it was Frida Kahlo who uniquely transformed self-portraits into an art of storytelling for women, depicting the ins and outs of her life, both the love and the pain, in the same way millions of people today overshare on social media. It's just that now, instead of careful strokes of a paintbrush, we can simply capture snaps on a phone and upload them with just the right caption. That is from the introduction of What Would Frida Do? A Guide to Living Boldly. Thank you so much for reading for us today. Welcome to the show, Ariana. Thank you so much for having me. Ariana, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? Weekend mornings with the sun pouring in on my desk and definitely coffee on coffee on coffee. 
um, and music playing. I am big on um, writing to jazz or any music without words so that, you know, I feel like the music keeps the energy flowing and the creativity going, but I'm not too distracted by lyrics because I'm a big words person. So sometimes I find myself, if there's a lyric playing, getting distracted by that. So I'll, um, I've been listening to a lot of like Duke Ellington or, or jazz that um, really is upbeat and, and beautiful, but is wordless and lets me just focus on the writing ahead of me. How do you nurture your creativity? The two biggest things that I do are long walks. I find that, um, especially especially during this pandemic, going for walks um, and trying to, you know, I'll usually turn my phone on airplane mode um, to just completely get a break from screen time and from social media and just focus on nature and my surroundings. I live in New York. I'm in Long Island City. And um, where I live, I am blessed to be to live along the East River. So I think just the combination of getting um, outside and taking in nature around me, the water, the sights, the sounds, and doing that without the distraction of my phone and without social media, that always kind of gets my creative juices flowing. So sometimes I'll bring a notebook or I'll just have the notes app on my phone and I'll find myself just having randomly fleeting thoughts that I'll, that I'll jot down that eventually kind of lead to something else. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is reading. I'm a really big bookworm. So I find that reading a great book, getting lost in a, in a story that just grips me usually inspires me to be creative in my own way as well. What's your best writing tip? I remember a few years ago reading an article, an interview with Zadie Smith, where she talks about this Martha Graham quote that really stuck with her. Martha Graham was a famous choreographer who worked um, on Broadway and in, in many uh, dance projects. And in her memoir, she wrote a quote that Zadie said she has since remembered for herself when it comes to writing. And it always stuck with me. It's actually, this quote is saved on the background of, it's the wallpaper on my phone. And the quote is, there is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all of time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. I love that quote so much because to me, it really speaks to the fact that there is really only one of you and there you only you can translate your creative energy your thoughts, your energy into into words as a writer. You know, two people could be given the same writing prompt or the same assignment or write try to write the same book and they would write it in very different, unique ways because each of us has something that we bring to the table. And so I think that my greatest writing tip would be really focusing on what it is that you want to say and how you want to tell the story and not ever trying to write like someone else or to imitate what somebody else might write. Um, and focusing just on what it is that is unique in you that you bring to to the words that you write down. What's your biggest writing challenge right now? I think my biggest writing challenge is actually the fact that I don't always nurture my creative self the, the best in this pandemic because, you know, we're always home, right? So I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm working a lot. I'm on my laptop, you know, pretty much all day. And then at the end of the day, I'm so drained, you know, creatively that I often just find myself kind of binge watching Netflix shows or just endlessly kind of mindlessly scrolling through social media. 
And for me, that kind of blocks a lot of my creative energy. It's, I think all the screen time and all just the constant intake of tweets and Instagrams or just like, you know, kind of mindlessly watching TV. Um, after a certain point, I feel like it's almost numbing. And so I think I'll, I came to a point where I realized, especially, um, you know, right after the holidays that I was just, you know, in, I think, a, a slump because I was just numbing myself with all of these different things and spending so much time plugged in that I was never truly actually unplugged. And that was completely blocking me creatively. So I have to be a lot more, I find, intentional about really nurturing my creative self and making sure that I'm taking the time to create creative spaces for myself and make sure that I'm, you know, not just like spending 48 hours straight on the couch watching the latest Netflix show, but that I am going out for a walk and that I am um, unplugging with a good book and, and trying to get some fresh air and really making sure that I am incorporating the elements into my life that will give that extra creative stimulation. What do you do when you're trying to overcome a block? Um, one thing I did mention is going for walks, but the other thing that I also love to do is I'm a big bath taker. I love to take a bath and, um, it's also something that I also, you know, recently have been trying to remind myself to do in this pandemic is, um, you know, because we are home, I feel like just having that, that time, that self-care time. But for me, I'll take a bath, I'll light candles, I'll sometimes bring a book. Sometimes I won't, sometimes I'll just listen to music, but Again, I think unplugging and um, taking the time. There's something about being in water for me. And I think also just in a space of really, you know, soaking and, and focusing on the act of just like taking a bath and feeling the water on your skin and um, just having that very um, kind of almost sacred space to focus on creativity and just on yourself and your body and connecting the mind with the body in that way. I think that that is one thing that always helps me when I'm feeling like super creatively blocked. What about editing and revising tips? Ooh, I think editing and revising, I think my biggest tip is I always read things out loud. I think especially, um, again, because we're all looking at screens all day and we're all reading on screens all day, especially if you are editing something digitally, I think that reading something out loud just to make sure that it sounds as good as it reads is a big tip that I that I have always done ever since I, um, I took some copy editing courses in college and I actually did an, an internship at the New York Daily News that was focused on copy editing. And so that copy editing piece of my brain is always there. And so for me, I think just reading out loud and making sure to take a break also I think is really important. So if you've edited something or um, you know, you kind of feel like your eyes are starting to cross as you're editing or revising. I think taking a break, going to do something else, whether it's going to take a walk or maybe it is watching a show or, you know, taking some time to read and then coming back to it with fresh eyes is always something that, that helps me. Um, and then I find myself catching things or, or thinking of things in a different perspective that I maybe didn't the first time around. Talk to me about the relationship between your physical and mental health in your writing. I 100% that I, I think that they're so linked. I find that um, I find that when I'm not physically active, and that can even just be, you know, if I've just been like sedentary, and I've been, you know, sitting at my desk all day, and I haven't, um, I haven't, you know, stood up at all, or I haven't gone for even just a walk. Um, I am a big standing desk person. I love I try to alternate like every other hour sitting and standing and just just to kind of 
make sure that my body is like, you know, not just in the same position all day, because I feel that when I, you know, am in a slump physically, that 100% affects me mentally and creatively. Um, So when I'm at my best, I'm definitely getting in some cardio at least a few days a week, whether that's the elliptical or going for a run. If I can, I have a knee injury these days, so I'm not running as much. But if I can just try to get in some type of cardio, um, I find that, you know, definitely having those endorphins after really always helps. But at a minimum, I try to go for a walk for at least 30 to 30 minutes to an hour every day um, because I find that it's, it just wakes me up and it wakes up my body. And then therefore I feel like it wakes up also my mind and, and my creativity. And so um, I think that I'm at my best creatively when I am making that really intentional. Would you tell us about your experience with publishing? Sure. So my experience with publishing What Would Frida Do specifically um, is interesting in that my day job is as the digital director for Oprah Magazine. So I've been in journalism for you know over a decade and I oversee all editorial and social strategy for for Oprah Mag. Um, and previously I was at Refinery29 where I wrote a lot of um, pieces specifically geared toward Black and Latinx women. Um, and I, we had actually just launched Oprah Magazine's website, OprahMag.com in 2018, when um, an agent reached out to me because the she was working with a publisher, um, Hachette Books, and they were thinking that in this time of kind of women's empowerment and um, really a time in our culture when women are really um, supporting one another and we're, we're really talking about how we can uplift women in a big way, Hachette was interested in potentially publishing something about the life of Frida Kahlo, who was, you know, one of history's most iconic badass women. And they had heard through the grapevine that I was a Frida fan and they had been following my work for a while. And so they asked if I, you know, would have any interest in writing something about Frida and if I had any ideas. And so that was kind of for me how it happened. You know, it was, it was the other way around. Typically, obviously, a writer, you know, will have an idea and then they'll try to find an agent and then they'll try to sell the idea. And so in this case, it kind of happened backwards, which was something I completely was not expecting. But um, as I mentioned, I'm a huge bookworm. I love reading and I've always been passionate about about writing um, a book, but it just, you know, wasn't something at that exact moment that I was thinking about. And so it kind of honestly fell into my lap and to be completely frank, I did have a lot of imposter syndrome around it. I was like, you know, am I really the best person to write um, this book about Frida? You know, there's been so many books written about her. There's been an Oscar nominated movie done about her. Um, There's an endless amount of, you know, Frida things all around the world. And um, I knew also it would be a really research heavy project. And when I, you know, originally thought about writing a book, I had always imagined it would be fiction. So the idea of writing something nonfiction, um, you know, all of it was definitely a really big pro- project and challenge. But, um, you know, in the end, I just felt like there's no way I could turn down this opportunity. And also just my love and passion for Frida and also for writing is what pushed me to say, you know what, I, I'm just going to give this a shot. And so that was that was kind of how it all went down. And I worked with um, an incredible editor at Hachette, uh, the imprint is Silk, Seal Press, um, so I worked with uh, my editor, Emmy, at Seal Press, and she was really collaborative and was really open to all of my ideas and kind of this concepts that I had of not just making it a straight up, you know, biography, but also self-help and the fact that we could, in addition to telling Frida's story for anyone who doesn't know it already, at the same time, also extract the lessons that I, you know, as a big Frida fan and as a woman and as a woman of color have learned from studying her and from her, from her, from her story. So, 
um, yeah, the, the, the whole process was, was very, was very unexpected, but it ended up being one of the most fulfilling and, and creative projects that I've ever worked on. Who are one or two other women writers or creators we should be aware of right now? I definitely think Britt Bennett, who wrote The Vanishing Half, um, and she also previously wrote a book called The Mothers. She, I think, is such a, a talented writer. She is um, someone who, I, you know, I read The Vanishing Half last year, and I couldn't put it down. I, you know, it, it just, it's, a, it's the story of two sisters, they're twin sisters, who live in the South, and they're both, they're light-skinned, and one decides to pass as white, and the other ends up having a child with someone who's darker skinned and they both, it, it really dives into the story of sisterhood and also what it was like living in the South during um, that time period. But also it really kind of explores the, the experience of black women and also colorism. And there's just so many layers there. And so she, for me, I think is one of, um, she's a fiction writer who I am just like obsessed with. And I think anything she writes, I would just devour. So I would 100% recommend Britt Bennett. And then another writer that I love, Elizabeth Acevedo, who is a Dominican writer. She writes, she's written three YA books. She's also a poet. And um, she's written, her books are The Poet X, uh, With the Fire on High, and Clap When You Land. And, you know, I was, you know, as an adult, kind of thought my YA years were behind me. And I, I wasn't really interested in diving into YA at this point in my life. But she has such a really lyrical way of she kind of pairs poetry but does she tells stories narratively but through poetry and um she is just really brilliant the way that she writes and I think even though her books are kind of labeled as YA they're relatable to anyone no matter their age especially for me as a woman of color and and as a Latina um who growing up always wanted to see themselves better reflected in in books now reading her work, it's just a really transformative and um, and really it, it's it's the kind of read that really just makes you reflect on on your own self and your identity and and your place in the world. And so, um, both are authors I, I whose work I really admire and would recommend. And where can listeners find you online? So I am on Instagram at, at Ariana Gab. That's A-R-I-A-N-N-A-G-A-B. Um, I'm the most active there, but you can also find me uh, on Twitter at Ariana G. Davis. And um, you can also follow my, my day job work at, at, at OprahMag.com. And um, What Would Free to Do is available at all of your favorite retailers, also on bookshop.org if you want to su- support your local independent bookstore. Thank you for sharing your writing and wisdom with us today, Ariana. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. And I am honored to be a part of this podcast. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting the prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. If someone in history who is no longer with us were suddenly with you again, whether it's a loved one or it's someone in history like Frida Kahlo, for instance, were with you in the room right now, what would you say to them or what message would you want to write down and have them read behind you?
Hearing the intro to What Would Frida Do makes me want to see where Ariana took the rest of the book. Doesn't it do that for you? Part of what's interesting about having different authors in the show is the variety of experiences that we can hear and learn from. Ariana has worked in publishing for many years and is embedded in the industry, which helped a book deal on topics she loves come to her. It'd be easy to overlook the time, passion, and hard work that she's dedicated to journalism that led her to this point. I'm pretty excited for her that she had this opportunity, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what topic she tackles in her next book. Thanks for listening today. Leaving the podcast a five-star review on your favorite platform helps me reach more writers. It also helps when you share a favorite episode with your writing friends. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and this is Fierce Woman Writing. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at FierceWomenWriting. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.